Well, good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you. Uh, this morning we're going to be studying in Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to 59. This is our fourth sermon in Luke chapter 12. We're going to look at 49 to 59. This is an important chapter. We'll dive into it more. But as I was preparing this sermon, I looked up a little bit about the uh, tsunami, the massive tsunami that hit South Asia in 2004. You may remember it. It hit coast, coast area, coastal areas in Thailand, Sri Lanka, Indonesia, and, and other other places as well. It's estimated that there was 240,000 people that died when these huge tidal waves rushed onto land. Millions of people lost their belongings and even their homes. After the tsunami hit, all the people who had been in that affected area were categorized into one of two ways, just, just two ways. They were divided into two categories. It was what the families and friends of these people wanted to know. Are they alive? They didn't, want to, they didn't care what they did the day before or if they were having a good day at work. No, they wanted to know, are they alive or are they dead? These two areas, all the people divided into these categories. In a similar way, the Bible makes clear to us that when our time is done on earth, we are categorized into two different ways. We are divided to God's people and those who are not God's people. All people everywhere will be divided in these ways. Those who are alive in Christ and those who are spiritually dead. Throughout the book of Luke, Jesus has been teaching his disciples and the crowds around him about God's kingdom, what it takes to be in God's kingdom, and what it looks like to live as a member of God's kingdom. And we're going to see in our passage today, Jesus continues this theme. He's going to make a division. And he says that he's come to make division. And this division is between those who are in Christ, those who are believers, and those who are not. Jesus continues and to tell us that we don't have much time either. There is an expiration date on accepting God's free gift of salvation. So with these thoughts in mind, let's move to our passage. Before we read, though, I want to give a little more background on chapter 12. Jesus has been teaching his disciples throughout chapter 12 on the end of time, the, the last days of, of all of time, a final judgment that is coming. He's talked about how everything that we do in this life will at one time, at the end of time, be exposed. He told his disciples to not fear man, but to rightly fear God, because he's the one who will judge at the end of time. He says that anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, meaning anyone who does not believe in Jesus before they die will enter into eternal punishment for rejecting God's salvation. Jesus talks about a parable. He gave a parable about a rich man who was actually a fool because he stored up treasure on earth instead of being rich toward God. He spoke of eternal treasure as our goal. Jesus said, not, not earthly treasure, but eternal treasure. And then in verse 35, Jesus speaks of the urgency for his followers to be ready for the end of time. 
He talks of his second coming and says the hour will come when the disciples do not expect it. And so here at the end of chapter 12, Jesus again deals with the end of time, the last judgment. So let's get into our passage now. Chapter 12, verses 49 to 59. Please follow along as I read. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. This is God's word. The, the main idea, the big, the, the main message or the big idea here is this. Side with Jesus. Side with Jesus. Because his message is clear and the time is now. We'll take this passage in three sections. First will be 49 to 53. And then verses 54 to 56. And finally 57 to 59. Again, the main idea, side with Jesus, because his message is clear and the time is now. The first point is to side with Jesus. Let's look again at 49 to 53. I came to cast fire on the earth and wood that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So here Jesus starts by saying he came to cast fire on the earth. Fire is all-consuming. This is like a forest fire or a wildfire. It burns everything in its path. This may seem a bit unexpected from Jesus, who many may consider him or think of him as being a calm and tranquil man who's teaching people to love each other. But here he says he's bringing fire. And he continues to say he has a baptism that's coming and it's causing him distress. Baptism is being plunged underwater 
It's completely covered in water and then brought out. So we have the imagery of fire that's burning and baptism and everything being drenched in water. He's talking about something all-consuming. talking about something life-changing. And we see that he's anticipating this with a heaviness. He's clearly talking about his death on the cross. He's heading toward Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to die there. We read back in chapter 9 of Luke, in verse 51 and 53, Jesus said, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's purposely planning to head to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be killed, and it's heavy on his mind and his heart. Jesus' listeners may have been a little shocked at this comment. Maybe they were wondering, what in the world is he talking about? This doesn't seem like him. But he clarifies this in chapter in verse 51. He says, do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. So Jesus says he's come to divide. What kind of division is this? What did he come to divide? That's where we see in verse 52 and 53. The house is divided. Three against two and two against three. Notice too the list. We have father, son, mother, daughter, mother-in-law, and daughter-in-law. The two versus three is parents versus the kids. We have the father against son, mother against daughter, and then the mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. This looks like the daughter-in-law is married to the son. So there's the three kids on one side, the two parents on the other. This would have been a shocking division for the people in this context, those who were listening to Jesus. This type of division seems very, uh, very shocking and, and very stark. So the division has two sides. Jesus is not saying he's dividing for the sake of dividing. He's not creating chaos where he continues to divide uh, father against mother or all these things. No, there's two sides to this division. There's two groups of people here. We know from other things that Jesus has said that this division is between God's people and those who are not God's people. We can say those who are alive in Christ, those who believe in Jesus, and those who do not. Back when Jesus was a baby, when he was dedicated at the temple, the old man Simeon said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon here was prophesying about this division that was going to occur because of Jesus. There will be many that fall and those that rise. A sign that is opposed, where there's the sign where Jesus is there and there's an opposition to him. That's the two sides that we see here. And we don't know which side the parents and the kids are. That's not the point to say the parents are on one side or the other. But we're meant to see that this division has two sides. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus teaches on this same concept. He talks about the final judgment at the end of time. All the people will be gathered, and they will be divided 
like a shepherd divides sheep and goats. So if there's a herd of sheep and goats all mingled together, they're very similar animals, they eat similar, they operate similar in a similar way, but they're different animals. So the shepherd would need to put the goats on one side and the sheep on the other at some point. Jesus says that's what it looks like when all the people are gathered together for the judgment. There's a division, and there's one side or the other. In another place in Matthew, Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who ended up with weeds among his wheat field. So there was weeds and wheat growing together. But if he pulled the weeds, it would risk pulling up the wheat also. So he let them grow together until the harvest, until the end when they were all pulled up and then divided. The weeds were thrown into the fire and the wheat was used for what it was useful for. These two cases highlight the point that God makes a distinction. He separates people, not among race or class or even gender, but he separates people, makes this distinction based on what they have done with the good news of Jesus, whether they have believed in Jesus for salvation or have rejected him. So with this in mind, we have two implications or, or applications of this passage for us. Two things that we should keep in mind related to this division that Jesus has brought. First one is, Jesus is the source and the subject of this division. He's the one who has started the fire. He has come to cast fire on the earth. He's the one who is to be baptized in this baptism that's causing him distress. So we need to remember that we, for those of us who are Christians, we are brothers and sisters with others who are in Christ. So we don't want to make a distinction above being in Christ. We have unity because we are in Christ together. Our unity does not come from being of the same nationality or having the same interests. It comes because we are in Christ. And also, we need to keep in mind that we, we should hope and pray that those who are not in Christ, those who are unbelievers or right now are on the outside, would not stay that way, but that they would become brothers and sisters. So even though there is a division, we don't take that division as something we push people away who are on the outside. No, we want to recognize that and love them and share with them the good news of Jesus because we were once on the outside. We were once unbelievers. And Jesus here is the subject. He's the subject of the division. The world is divided over Jesus and what to do with him. We need to remember that, that it's about him. So we want to share the gospel with people. And when we do, we should not fear what they think of us. Because the gospel is related to Jesus. And that division, he is the subject of the division. It's related to him. Now it's very difficult to not consider what people think of us when we talk about being a Christian or we share the gospel with them. But we should pray and ask God to help us to be more concerned with representing him well. As being his ambassador. And not be concerned with what the other person thinks. If they think we're weird or we're crazy, or anything like that. We want to be concerned with what 
God thinks, and be concerned with representing him well. Because the division is about him, not about us. The second thing, the second implication about this point is that we should expect conflict. I know some of you experienced this conflict already. Parents or siblings, co-workers, friends, who don't understand why you're a Christian. They tell you you should not go to church. They discourage you from hanging out with Christian friends. I know some of our members are even in a place where their parents or spouse bar them, keep them from coming to church. This should not be surprising to us. Jesus says that the family even will be divided. The father against son, mother against daughter. So we should expect this conflict. We want to remember that Christ is Lord of our lives. So Christians, we need to remember that Jesus is the top priority. He is our highest priority. We should not put ourselves, our parents, our kids, even our spouse, above our relationship with God and obeying Him. If you're struggling in this situation, if you're not sure how to navigate this, you're welcome to come talk to me or talk to Luke. We have elders and leaders in this church for this purpose. We are available to help you. We may not have all the answers, but we would love to pray with you and walk with you through this. Please take advantage. So this point is that we should side with Jesus. But can we side with Jesus? Do we have enough to make that decision? Are we sure that we can side with him? Well, that brings us to our second point, that the message is clear. The message is clear. Let's look at verses 54 to 56. It says that he also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So Jesus changes his focus here. Most of chapter 12, he's talking directly to his disciples. He's doing that with crowds all around. They're listening in, but he's directing his message to his followers. Here, it says that he's talking to the crowds. He now turns his attention to those who are on the outside, but listening in. He uses an illustration about the weather. Verse 54. It says, he points out that most of them know how to look for the rain. It says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. They rightly judge what the, what's going to happen with the weather. They say, I see the cloud in the distance, it's going to rain, and it does. They have gotten used to, they understand how to check the weather in that way. And then in 55, it says, when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. Again, they can rightly judge the weather based on observing what's going on. They know what's going to happen. They can predict what's going to happen with the weather. Because they should not wear the long tunic or the short, short tunic today. Uh, wind from the south 
I should go with the short tuning. It's going to be a scorcher. They know how to do that. And we do a similar thing. We maybe check a weather app to know what's going to happen. If it's going to rain or it's going to be scorching heat. But we also know how to judge the times. Like Jesus' audience here, we also make plans based on predictions of the future. But Jesus says in verse 56 that his listeners, this, these crowds are hypocrites because they know how to check the sky and the wind and predict what's going to happen. But they're clueless about the current times. He says, why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus is talking to these crowds who have heard Jesus. They have seen him perform miracles and have heard his teaching. But yet, they're still on the outside. They're still hesitant. They have not become one of his disciples. They have not believed in him. They're waiting and they're stalling. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand the seriousness of this situation? You have enough information. You have seen enough to predict the truth of what he's saying. The cloud indicates rain. The south wind predicts a scorching heat. And Jesus' presence and his ministry accurately predict that he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This flies in the face. This, this goes against those who might wonder, is he really the Christ? Can we really trust what he says? He's saying, yes, you have seen enough. You have heard enough be able to make this decision. Evidence points to Jesus being the Christ, but yet some still waited, some still would not believe. So this message has implications for us today. Some application. First thing is, there is enough information, there's enough evidence for non-Christians to believe in Jesus. Those who have heard the gospel, their unbelief is not a lack of information. It's a rejection of the gospel as truth. You may have the experience of talking to, sharing with people, but they still want more information. They're still not quite convinced. I had somebody tell me once that if they wanted to, they wanted to build a time machine so they could go back in the, in the past and see Jesus and actually hear him to know whether he really was the Christ, whether he really was the Savior. Yet the Bible says, even if we could do that, we still wouldn't believe. Even if somebody could go back, if they're not believing now, they still would not believe. It's not an information thing. It's a heart issue. We also need to remember, though, that those who are saved are saved through the work of Jesus, through the work of His Spirit on their hearts. It's not information. It's God's, It's God working. So as Christians, we want to communicate a clear message of repentance. We want to tell people that what it takes to be saved, what it takes to be a believer in Jesus, is to repent of sin and believe in Jesus as Savior. It is putting faith in Him. So we want to be clear about this message as we share it. We don't want to tell people that, oh, if you believe in Jesus, it will make your life better. You will never have to worry about having enough money or your kids will be healthy and become doctors when they're older. Yeah, these, these things are not true. We want to tell people the clear message, like Jesus communicated the clear message. But we also want to remember 
that the work of salvation is done by God. So when we want someone to be saved, we share the clear message with them, and we pray for their soul that God would save them. We also do not want to leave out communicating the destruction that comes to those who remain in unbelief when they die. Jesus' warning here is that those who are outside have something bad coming. There is a judgment that is to come. And we want to warn people of that. It is a serious danger. So we want to side with Jesus for the sake of our soul. We also want to communicate clearly the message of Jesus as he has made it clear that he is the Christ. He is Lord. But lastly, this message, there is an urgency to it. Point number three, the time is now. The time is now. Look at verses 57 to 59. Jesus says, And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus asked the question, why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? This question serves as a bridge between the previous section and this parable that Jesus tells in 58 to 59. He's saying that if they could interpret the present time correctly, they could judge for themselves that Jesus' ministry and message is true and is worth following. They're saying you should be able to determine the truth here. You have enough information. And then Jesus ends this section with this brief parable in 58 to 59. When we first read this, it seems a little odd here. It looks like it's something from Proverbs that's just inserted in here. Is this some wisdom? So Jesus is talking about end times, and then he says, by the way, if you're ever in a lawsuit, try to settle before you go to court. And that's good wisdom for us to do if we're ever in that situation. But that's not Jesus' purpose in telling this. This is a parable. It has a meaning that relates to real life. So we need to understand, what is that meaning? Why did Jesus tell this parable in this way? Let's look closer at it. Let's look at verse 58. As you go your way, I'm sorry, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. So we see there's a man who has a lawsuit against him. He probably has some heavy fine that he needs to pay. There's going to be a debt that he must pay. And obviously he doesn't have the money to pay it. Because if he goes before the judge right now, as he is, he will be condemned to prison. And verse 59 says, I tell you, you will never get out until he have paid the very last penny. It means he's going to be in prison a long time. And every bit of it has to be paid. There's no mercy shown in that case. So Jesus says that he should make every effort, make an effort to settle with him on the way. The end result is going to be prison if he doesn't settle this early. The key elements of this parable is that there is a man in debt, and the debt is so big he cannot pay it. 
And if he goes before the judge in his current condition right now, he will be found guilty and put in prison for a very long time. Jesus tells this parable because the crowd, and really all people everywhere, including us, have a debt that we cannot pay. We have sinned against the Almighty and all-holy God. Like the man in the story, we are on our way to the courts. The Bible says that there will be a judgment at the end of time. Romans 14, verse 10 says, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And also in Revelation 20, we see a picture of this final judgment. It says, And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the result of judgment, of this judgment, anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the fire. So when this judgment comes, we are doomed to an eternity in hell because of our sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Wages is the payment. So the payment that we must pay for our sin is death. But there's hope in Jesus' words here. This is not the only option that we would die forever. He says in verse 58, as you go with your accuser, notice that next line, make an effort to settle with him on the way. So in this parable, there is time and opportunity, although it's limited, it's on the way, but there is time and opportunity to settle the debt before the judgment. And the same is true for the crowd listening to Jesus. The same is true for every one of us today. There is time and opportunity that this debt would be settled. I mentioned Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. That verse continues to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The hope is that God offers a free gift of eternal life in Christ. Colossians 2 helps us understand this even more. It says that God pays a debt for our sin through the death of Jesus. Listen to Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So this debt that we have because of our sin, that we owe, and it requires our eternal death in hell, God canceled the record of that debt, and he did so by nailing it to the cross. Jesus became that debt for us. He paid the debt. He settled it. So to make an effort to settle the debt on the way, as this verse talks about in Luke, Jesus has settled that debt. He made that payment for sin so that we could go free. The perfect Son of God died so that sinners like us might live. 
And God offers this free gift of salvation to all people through faith in Jesus. This salvation is available. There is opportunity to settle this debt that we have. But the time to do that is now. We don't know when we will die. We don't know when the end will come. The time is to do that now as we are on the way. So all people, all of us, must prepare for this final judgment by repenting of our sin and believing in Jesus as our Savior. We need to remember that it is God. God is the one who saves. He's the one who settles the account. He paid the debt that we that would have cost us our eternity. And he is the one who causes people to be born again. He's the one who opens the eyes of the blind and sets the captives free. And God uses Christians. So this is the, the application for us as believers today. Is that God uses us as he saves people. We want to work and pray for the salvation of our family and friends. And God desires to use us as he brings them to faith. We should pray for them often, that God would save them. We need to love them in the love of Jesus. The sacrificial love, genuine love. We also want to speak the truth in love to our friends and family. Sharing the gospel with them. One great way to be reaching family and friends for the sake of Christ is to come to the evening service and join in prayer for your friends and family. When you come to an evening service, we have a time of open prayer. This is a great time to bring the names of those people who you are praying for. You want your family and your friends to come to a knowledge of Jesus and to put their faith in him. God works through the prayers of his people. So be praying for and asking others to pray for your loved ones and your friends who you want to be saved. Now it's important that we don't go to our friends and tell them, and the pastor at church said that you're going to hell. Please don't start off like that. We don't want to share the truth with them. But it might just be starting by telling them that you're a Christian. Is there people at your work or do you have friends who don't even know you're a Christian? Maybe it's awkward to tell them at the beginning. It might be. You can just say, this is a little awkward, but I've never told you I'm a Christian. That could start a conversation. Don't be afraid to do that. Take that awkward step. But tell them lovingly. Show them by your life that's lived differently. And lived for the Lord. Just think about how amazing it would be to be used by God in saving your friend or saving a family member. Now we should conclude. I mentioned earlier about the tsunami that hit South, uh, South Asia. When a tsunami comes, there's a few warnings. Sometimes when there's an earthquake out at sea, then that can mean a tsunami could be coming. So when the earthquake happens, many places like Japan, they have warnings when an earthquake happens at sea, there are tsunami warnings and people take action. There's also something strange that happens with the water right before a tsunami comes. The water recedes way back into the ocean. You know, at the beach, there's a normal in and out. Well, that out is very prolonged and is much larger than normal. And that can indicate that a tsunami is on its way. I read one story about this tsunami that there was a man and wife eating at a hotel near the beach. They noticed the 
water receding much further into the ocean than normal. There was many people on the beach who were noticing it as well, taking pictures and looking at it. The man who was there interpreted this sign. He realized that this present time, there was going to be a tsunami very soon. He said, run. He and his wife ran for the hills, and they survived the tsunami. Many did not. He recognized and interpreted accurately the present time. The message of, that Jesus has for us from this passage today is even more important than this warning about the tsunami. The end is coming, and we don't know when that's going to happen. And when we die, when we leave this earth, there will be a judgment. And we don't run to higher ground at that point. No, right now, the time is now for us to accept the free gift of salvation that God offers to us. Christian brothers and sisters, for us, our work is to direct people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We want to warn people of this coming judgment, like someone warning a, another person about a tsunami. This is even a bigger deal than a tsunami. It's the judgment of a holy God. And we hold the, the news, we hold the good news that there is one who has settled that debt that we owe, and that's Jesus. Let's pray. God, it is by your mercy that we can even call you God and Father. Lord, we ask that you would save those who are here today and who are not yet your children, who are not yet believers in Jesus. God, we ask that you would soften hearts, you would open the eyes, and you would raise from the dead those who are spiritually dead, those who are not in you, in Christ yet. And God, we ask that you would also give us a love for the lost that drives us, compels us to share the good news of Jesus with all those we meet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.